For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome you to Porch Talk. This is your host, Alan. I'm in Columbus, Mississippi, the friendly city. And uh, I have Emily Liner here with me. She is the owner of Friendly City Books. Emily, how are you doing? Good. How are you, Alan? I'm good. And so just for the start, I wanted to go ahead and plug uh, social medias, uh, your website, and what people can do right now to uh, help you out. Thanks. Yeah. So uh, Friendly City Books is online. Our website is FriendlyCityBooks.com. Facebook is Friendly City Books. Instagram is Friendly City Books. And our Twitter is Friendly City BKS. Perfect. All right. And just to learn a little bit about you, uh, where were you originally from? Where were you born and raised? I mean, I'm from Mississippi originally. Okay. uh, But I grew up on the coast. So I was born in New Orleans and grew up in Bay St. Louis, which is about an hour away. Mm -hmm. And so uh, books, uh, where where did the passion for books come from? Uh, It started when I was young. Uh, My mom said I was reading when I was around three years old. I think it's because when I was a kid, uh, we used to travel for my dad's job. He was a boilermaker, and he would travel around the country doing welding jobs, going to different um, sites six to eight weeks at a time, and we would drive between the jobs, and I was an only child, so I started reading the Rand McNally Road Atlas to entertain myself on these long drives <laughs> yeah. up across the country. And uh, just always loved reading. Um, so it's something that's kind of stuck with me. Now, this isn't what I always thought I would do. Um, yeah. I did not think that this was going to be my career. Right. Uh, it's a big change for me. But uh, it's been about a year now since Friendly City Books opened. Yeah. And so uh, from the coast, where'd you go from there? So I moved to Columbus in the middle of high school because there's a high school here called the Mississippi School for Math and Science. Yeah. And I was a big old nerd. So (laughs) I went there for 11th and 12th grade. Uh, And that's what originally brought me to this part of the state. And then after that, I went to college in Washington, D.C. And at that point, I thought I was never coming back. Mm -hmm. I was gone for good. Little did I know that one day I would come back. Did you grow up just just waiting for the day you could leave Mississippi? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of people, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was like, as soon as I'm 18, as soon as I finish high school, I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, So it is really funny. If I had a conversation with myself when I was 18 and told myself, uh, you know, and few years from now you're going to come back home i never would have believed it yeah it's like there's no way no yeah i've i remember uh this back in high school we had a uh a girl of my grade she got a letter uh being invited to msms and uh she was bragging about it she was so caught up in herself and uh i was like you know i got one of them letters too and then like a couple more of my buddies and we're we were not near as smart as her and like, I got a letter too, <laughs> dude. I, I got a letter, 
and, you know, just kind of giving her a hard time. Well, she would go on to go there, and uh, I never did see her again, so I wonder how she does, but I was like, a great school. Yeah. Great school. Plugs to that, and uh, it's, it's a big deal to be invited out, even if you really weren't. <laughs> it was a really cool experience. I met a lot of interesting people, mm-hmm. and it changed my life. Yeah. Is that, do you think that's what puts you on the trajectory to go to the uh, college in D.C.? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to go there anyway, and I mean, maybe I still would have if I had still stayed in my hometown, Um, but it felt a lot more realistic Mm -hmm. as a goal once I got to MSMS, because uh, instead of being the only person in my group of friends or in my school who wanted to go to a big school out of state, I had other people who were had the same goals. Mm -hmm. So we were all kind of rooting for each other and helping each other out. Right on. And so what did you want to study in college? I wanted to go into politics. Okay. So poli-sci? Mm-hmm. All right. And that's why I went to Washington, D.C. I was really into politics and Congress, and uh, the presidential election was my senior year of high school. It was John Kerry running against George W. Bush. Um... 2008 when I graduated from college you know that was when Obama ran that's right so I had these you know like big elections at these same you know milestones in my life that kind of contributed to the excitement around all that yeah when I stepped into college that was uh so I graduated 2009 and I remember um we had uh we didn't really have a at South Lamar the high school I went to we really didn't have uh like a civics uh past I think seventh grade and but we had a teacher who was very passionate about politics and he would constantly bring that up and he would pull clips up in the classroom and let us watch and he wouldn't say either way he was just like what do you think about this what do you think about that and that really opened my mind up to politics and I remember how big of a deal it was in 2008 and uh, 2012 it was like hmm, I mean I don't think anybody should really even try to run against Obama he's going to have it it was a landslide. And then uh, 2016 was something that really shook me and woke me up to politics. Uh, I never would have called that. Uh, and, you know, for a lot of people, it was like the lesser of both evils. And I was like, I don't like either of these choices. This is clown world. But uh, And then uh, 2020 was, I mean, this is, it's a circus right now to me. And uh, it- it's crazy because I only worked in politics for a little over a decade before I came back to Mississippi, and it's changed dramatically since I yeah. started. Um, a lot of the members of Congress who I worked for in my first job after college no longer serve in office because mm-hmm. a lot of them were you know, disappointed and burned out and just felt like what the job had become was not what they thought it was going to be. Um, you know, it was a lot more division than bringing people together. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, uh, and just politics now, and not to just do a deep dive in politics, is uh, uh, something since I've really, I guess, woken up uh, to how important these things are, is just how important our local elections are. Totally. And it's, and it's way more important than the federal level. It really is, because um, they're more frequent, there are more offices. They're more likely to be uncontested. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they have what happens at the local level affects you a lot more closely um, than what happens at the federal level. And that is actually one of the reasons why I ended up coming back because I had been working on the federal level for a long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what my career had been in. And I eventually started to realize uh, there's a lot more that is going on at the local level that even I, as a political professional, had been ignorant of. And if you really want to make a change in your community, that's the place to get started. That's absolutely it. I remember uh, Ryan, uh, he invited me out to uh, run sound for Keith Gaskin uh, at his place. He was uh, speaking and just getting to know, you know the crowd and trying to get raise a little awareness because uh, I was trying to you know get Keith to be a household name around Columbus. And, uh, I believe that's a big thing. It's, it's easy for people to just vote the same way just because they know the name. And uh, I remember listening to him speak, and I was like, my God, if I lived in Columbus, he'd have my vote. Uh, he just seemed genuine, and he didn't seem like a politician. He seemed, you know, he was talking good sense, and it made sense to me, and invited him on the show. And I, I've definitely for him, but I, was, I, I have no... I can't do anything. I can't vote here, but uh, I I think this is something that Columbus should definitely look into, and uh, I love his uh, position right now with the transparency and the things that he's wanting to do here. I believe it's important. Of uh, the councilman that came out, uh, and I'm not speaking bad about the guy, uh, quoted a Bible verse and said, "I don't think that we should do this." I was like, "Well, that tells me that something might not be right if you don't believe that we should." But of uh, yeah, local politics. Uh, I work at Startville Utilities. Uh, that's for the municipality within Startville. And so some of the town halls I go to, uh, but I watch every one because everything they decide in that building has an effect on me because I work for them. And uh, I mean, I encourage people when there is something big in Startville going on, Startville has a Startville strong group. Uh, you know, I'll write some of the people privately and I was like, you need to show up at town hall tonight this is going to affect your ward. Yeah. And so uh, it's incredibly important. Yeah. And in Mississippi and a lot of Southern states, we elect a lot of offices that people are often unaware of. And those elections often happen in different intervals and different years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we just had a mayoral election earlier Uh this year in 2021, which is kind of off the, you know, it's not during a presidential year. That's right. So they tend to have lower turnout. Um, also half of the city council is elected at the same time as the mayor, but then the other half is staggered. Uh, we also have county supervisors. I believe I could be wrong. I have to double check, but I want to say that election would come up in 2023. You know, we've got our state legislature. Um, you know, everyone has a state representative and a state senator. Mm -hmm. Um, those elections are also in odd years. And then you get to your federal level stuff. Um, And we haven't even talked about like the statewide elected positions. I mean, and we elect things like transportation commissioner. That's right. You know, so if you're mad about your roads, like you have an opportunity to do something about it. We elect our Supreme Court justices. That's been a really big flashpoint in Mississippi in the past year because of the medical marijuana initiative. Oh, that my the God. We Court are the 74%, right? Yeah. I, I see like, those signs over, and it's like they're already trying to rewrite the bill and let people vote on it again. And it's, This is ridiculous. We already done it. It's wild. <laughs> 
three out of four Mississippians <laughs> voted yes on this. That's right. Do you know how often three out of four Mississippians agree on anything? They don't. <laughs> they do not. That's, yeah, just anything. Yeah, it could it could come down just to the county level. You know. It's yeah. Like we we just. I don't know if it's the American in us or it's like we just did not agree. So I mean, <laughs> that's one of those things where, you know, our Supreme Court justices are elected and we need to pay more attention Absolutely. to those races. And if you have a problem with something that someone in a position of power over that issue has done, you need to make sure that they are it's a contested election that you know you're aware of y- your opportunities to run for office or that you're talking to friends and family and neighbors of yours who you think would be good public servants because what tends to happen is that people just run over and over and nobody runs against them that's just it uh in lamar county over in alabama where i stay is uh i was just looking uh this was during the presidential election and i was looking at the local offices and there was just one name and I was like, and then I look into it, and I was like, this dude has had this position for years now, and no one even tries to run against him. And it happened to be Rhodes. Now, granted, he doesn't do a bad job, but I was like, man, if you ever screw up and I don't like the Rhodes, I'll put my name on the ballot just to see. Well, and you know, you can, at least in Mississippi, I'm not sure about how Alabama does it, but most places do have a write in option. And you would be surprised. I have heard stories of people <laughs> who won an election because na- they were written in. They didn't know their friends were doing it. And it would literally be like a dozen people would put their name down. And all of a sudden, they're like county coroner or something. I'm just making that up. Yeah. But I also think it's hilarious that in Mississippi, we elect the county coroner. Like, who cares who the coroner is? Yeah. Honestly. That is wild. <laughs> That's a wild thing. I mean, it's like dog catcher in some cities. Uh-huh. That's an elected position. I was like, well, I mean, what a way to get into politics. I am the city's dog catcher. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but uh, just just back to D.C. And, um, yeah, so that's you, what I used to do. <laughs> right. And so uh, these people were that you were working for, they're out of office. Uh, politics wasn't the way that it used to be. Mm-hmm. Of, I mean, so your life and your life plans were just kind of thrown to the wayside were you panicking and be like oh I gotta figure something out or what was that like I mean I could just kind of see that the country was heading in a direction where if I wanted to be a part of contributing to society and making things better there are some other opportunities to do that and it wasn't necessarily in politics like it wasn't Mm -hmm. just I didn't have to just work on a campaign to make a difference, I realized I could open a business and make a difference. That's right. And so was uh, Columbus the first place you thought of? Yeah, well, so I started coming back to Columbus a few years ago. Um, Well, so I graduated from high school and left Columbus in 2004. Mm -hmm. And I didn't come back for 10 years until my 10-year high school reunion because my family's not in this area, so I just never had a reason to come back here all that mm-hmm. often. But after I came back from my high school reunion, I was like, you know, this town is like really, it, it, I, I didn't give it that much credit when I was a teenager. Maybe because I was a teenager and I was just, you know, mm-hmm. wanted to complain about everything I could complain about. 
But when I started coming back to Columbus, I thought, you know, there's some real potential here. Like, there's some cool stuff happening. Um, And I started coming back more regularly in 2017. There's a summer program here at the Mississippi University for Women that's similar to MSMS. It's called Mississippi Governor's School. And I did it when I was in high school. And I decided to come back as a teacher. And I've been doing that every summer since then. And it's been a lot of fun. Um, but that brought me, started bringing me back to Columbus every year. And, you know, the first time I came back, I thought, maybe one day I'll come back here. We'll see. Mm-hmm. And then the next year I came back and I said, look at all these cool houses. And the next year I said, I wonder if any of these are for sale. <laughs> and then the next time I was, you know, Zillow, you know, looking at Zillow and looking at what houses are on the market and putting in an offer and... It just happened. So, um, but you know, there's some stuff that's here in Columbus that are really community driven initiatives that are so cool. Like the first summer I came back here for governor's school, I was invited to a house show at the Sunstroke House. House. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I wasn't there for the squirrel flowers, but the show before that was Soren. You were there? Yeah. And I was like, great. Yeah. And I mean, you're right down the street now, but oh, it's so I walk there. Yeah, and Jamie lets me have her leftover food. Yeah, <laughs> right on. Yeah, uh, she always sends me home with something too. <laughs> uh-huh. And I just thought this is so cool, um, you know, because this is a town of twenty five thousand people. That's right. It's not exactly a big city. Uh, yeah, it's not a big city, and it's also a little bit off the beaten path Mm -hmm. you don't just pass through columbus unless you are trying to come here for some reason because you know we only have that one little airport that has like one flight a day but if you need to get some if you need to go to a major airport it's two and a half hours Mm -hmm. we don't even have an interstate so i realize there are people here who say to themselves well it doesn't matter that people aren't coming here like, we will make it happen. We will create the community we want to have, and we'll make this a place that makes people want to come here. Uh, I remember uh, with just some of the interviews I've done with some of the musicians that have passed through Columbus and on and off the air, you know, and they'll stay with Jamie. And uh, I remember uh, Will Johnson. You familiar with him? Yeah. He, uh, he woke up the next morning and just walked downtown Columbus. And uh, I called him on the phone like a month later, and we did a phone interview. And uh, he's like, man, I got to say, you got a beautiful downtown scene. And I was like, yeah, I mean, we have a lot of vacant buildings, but, uh, you know, we got Catfish Alley and some of these alleyways that are just strong with lights. And, you know, we got the vine and ivy growing up. I mean, it's, there's a lot of beauty to be had here in uh, the community. I mean, we have uh, Jamie Nettles, who hosts the Sunstroke House, and, you got uh, Monson at Monson and Brothers, and they do so much for the community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it, it, it is exactly that. And I remember growing up, like, Kennedy Millport, where I went to school and grew up, if we were going to do anything, go to the movies, go bowling, we would go to Columbus. I mean, it was just the closest town. If you were going to go to a store to get groceries, you went to a Walmart in Columbus. And uh, my attitude since I moved and came back from Columbus is the same as yours. It's like, we've got a diamond in the rough here. Yeah, and I mean, and it, I keep seeing it change for the better. Um, we didn't have the Riverwalk when I was 
living here the first time as a high school student. Oh, that's, it's that, awesome. Yeah, that opened after I moved away. And when I came back, I was like, this is really cool. Um, I love having like a bike path here because uh, I didn't really think I'd have like a place to bike around town. But I totally when I, you know, go see other friends in this neighborhood, I usually bike down there. Or right if I have to run a errand at the W. Um, and the downtown is cute as can be. And they've really done a great job rehabbing it and getting more businesses in downtown. Um, so when I was starting to look at moving here, and I started looking at houses, I started to think, well, what's what are the things that I have to have mm-hmm. to be happy if I were to move and leave a big city like Washington, D.C.? And I was like, well, I want a yoga studio. There's a yoga studio already, so that was good. Um, and I want a bookstore. <coughs> and at the time, there was a Books A Million in the mall. It's, but gone. it's gone now. It's <coughs> gone, yeah, it's gone now since the pandemic. But even before it closed, I was shocked that it was still there anyway. But it wasn't yeah. the kind of bookstore I was. I was looking for an independent bookstore. You know, I was looking for a locally owned place that had uh, an intentional selection of books and people who were really passionate about them. I can't remember. It was back when you when I first found out about Friendly City. Uh, I asked you to get me a book, and you got it. It was, it was like... <laughs> And I can't, you know, of course I could go to Books A Million or I kind of hopped on Amazon, but this is the point. It's like, I want to talk to someone who is passionate about book, who knows authors, who knows genres, and can get this book. From, and you did. And it was that easy. And, like, I told my friends, and I think you actually put a few on your shelves after I ordered I think people came in and I don't remember, I can't remember the title of the book at the time. It's been a well over a year ago. Yeah. I usually do that, though. Whenever come, people come in, and uh, I'm always really pleased by how many people will order a book from us if they don't see it right there on the shelf. And I usually get an extra when that happens, because I think, well, if somebody here is reading this, somebody else here is going to want to read it, too. Right. I mean, people talk, especially about what yeah. they're reading. And uh, I mean, I, I like I like the bookstore atmosphere, and uh, especially independent, because uh, I like to see what's on the shelf. I yeah. Mean, what, I mean, what are people reading? Because you go to a Books a Million or a Barnes and Nobles, it's you know, it's it's mainstream stuff. And I mean, right. you know, you could might typically find something off the beaten path, but not generally. Well, and the reason why I decided to go for it, and this was you know, I made this decision before the Books a Million closed, but I had gone in there once to kind of check it out. And, you know, it, it, it was a big store, like square footage wise. Absolutely. It was. It had the coffee shop in yeah. there in the back. It, and- yeah. So it was huge. It's much bigger than the store that I ultimately opened. But there was one tiny shelf display that was Mississippi authors. And I was just like, are you kidding? Right. This is it. For a state that's, you know, produced dozens, like scores of incredible authors. I mean, we're low. I mean, look, we got. A playwright, Tennessee Williams. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about just Columbus. I mean, right. we have fascinating people who live here. I mean, Oprah, uh, that was it. She's from Kosciuszko. Yeah, that right? that's where she's originally uh, from. Uh, Morgan Freeman. I mm-hmm. mean, we, we have a lot of talented people with great minds in this state. Totally. And especially writers, you know. And so, you know, we've got kind of some uh, of those big names, uh, you know. Uh, Mr. Salazar, 
Yeah. So, you know, CT has become a good friend through the bookstore. You know, one thing that actually was a really cool discovery when I got here is there's a really strong poetry community that's very close-knit. So C.T. Salazar is a good example. Do poetry not across the street from your... Um, well, we would like to bring... It, you know, it's one of those COVID things. Right, right. Um, but we want to, you know, try to bring that back. But yeah, so, you know, C.T. Oh. is really big in the poetry scene here. Um, Thomas Richardson, mm-hmm. we actually published his first book of poetry. Um, Kendall Dunkelberg is the director of the MFA in creative writing here at MUW. And I think that has actually drawn a lot of poets here because he himself is a poet. Uh, But so, yeah, we have this like great poetry community. And then also at Mississippi State, right down the road, um, they're one of their professors is a poet who is now our state poet laureate, Catherine Pierce. Mm -hmm. Um, in Oxford, there's a poet, Amy Nesukumatadl, who just had this huge book that's like a New York Times bestseller um, called World of Wonders that I really loved. Um, I mean, and talk about like, I mean, Ole Miss, like their English department is stacked with some of like the best writers that are working today. Um, but the cool thing is like in every corner of the state, you can find a published writer. You can find someone who makes their living writing that's it which is pretty cool and that's actually kind of what gave me the confidence to move to mississippi and and quit my job and start a bookstore you know start a new business is you can take that kind of financial risk to be a creative entrepreneur here Mm -hmm. and it's one thing that i noticed quick about uh Friendly City Books. Uh, number one, I believe the location is great. You're right by the Art Council, right across the street from a coffee shop. And on top of that, this this community, another great thing I would say about Columbus, specifically maybe the downtown scene, is they are lovers of the arts. And if you do something like that, they're going to put you up, and they're going to support it. They're going to love it. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that... Uh, uh, they let me play here. Like I said, I don't live here, but I, I certainly play here. And uh, I, I love this community. Uh, so uh, you're getting to Columbus. Uh, what about storefront? I mean, how did you go about finding that building right off Main Street? Yeah, well, I really wanted to be in downtown Columbus. I mean, so this, like I, I, I mentioned this before, but this was a big career change for me, but it's also a big lifestyle change for me. So, sure. I mean, coming from D.C. to yeah, here. Yeah, I was in D.C. Like, I had a 400-square-foot condo, but, like, right in the heart of the city. I used to bike to work. I worked for, um, you know, I, I worked right by the White House, like, a few blocks away from there. I had to be surreal at first. <laughs> You know, they say that you, as long as you can walk by the White House and the Capitol building and still feel like that tingle in, you know, like in your spine, that like you're, you're still, you should stay, you know, like that, yeah. that's kind of like the thing they tell you. But, um, but so when I was moving here, I was like, well, if I'm giving up this big city life, I just want to go all in on like small town America. Like I want to have a cute 100 year old house and I want to be able to walk to my bookstore with my dog, you know, (laughs) like I just had this vision in my head of like, you know, Mayberry or something. (laughs) It worked out, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, when the weather's nice, the problem is catching the weather in Mississippi when it's 
bearable to walk around. <laughs> She's moody now. <laughs> yeah, Mother Nature. Uh, so uh, with that storefront, uh, I mean, was that the original place? Did you? Was there a, a previous place to that? I had just basically been looking in that, let's say, like four block area. Okay. At the intersection of Fifth and Main, um, and at the time that I was looking, there actually weren't a ton of vacant buildings, which I mean is a good thing for the city, you know. Um, so I ended up going with the location that I have because. Um, the landlords live upstairs, you know, so they're right there. Like they're, they're there every day. Um, so they care about who's in there and how it looks. Um, and they were excited about living above a bookstore. <laughs> right on. And that's another crazy thing about like just downtown Columbus, right? It's like above these businesses, restaurants, bars, there's lofts. There's apartments. Yeah, which you wouldn't really guess no. in a town like this. No, yeah. It's, I, I, I'll never forget the first time I went to the apartments above the princess, and there was a show going on below the princess. This has been like two or three years ago, and I was like, you know how sick it is to live here? And by the way, I would never be able to pay my bar tab off. <laughs> I was like, I, I, there's no way I could do this. This is just too much. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's funny you know I kind of have people who are like that now who you know basically like have a book tab with us because they'll you know come in and they'll say hey can you order whatever for me like my landlord's son is in college and isn't he's in Texas but whenever he comes back to visit he comes in and gets books and he's like when is it going to come in and I say I'll text your mom when it gets here <laughs> I run it upstairs yeah I have people who stop me on the street when I'm walking my dog and will pull up to the stop sign and roll their window down and ask me about a book. That's great. I love it. That's great. See, I, 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 that confirms my thought on it. Like, to have a independent bookstore downtown and just for people to know, oh, that's Emily. Yeah. That, that's Friendly City Books. Oh, I've had this book on my mind. Because I, I believe that it's like, let's, let's put up small business. Um, nothing against Bezos, but I was like, if we cannot use Amazon for everything, yes, let's put up our friends. Let's put up these small business owners who are staking their claim in this world. Yeah. Uh, so uh, just since inception to, um, I mean, up to the day, and I mean, you've got some, uh, the building needs to be repaired. Uh, I don't Yeah, care. we should probably talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> just a touch. Yeah, so, um, so the bookstore uh, about, well, this was on September 17th. We had an accident, and, and purely an accident, and an individual actually drove into the store. Um, he was trying to back out, and the parking situation downtown is just really crazy and chaotic. And that was a busy day. Yeah, it was a busy day because we were about to have our big Market Street Festival, and it was one of those things where just, you know, changed gears and got his foot stuck on the gas pedal. Um, we are so, so lucky that nobody got hurt. The driver was okay. Everybody in the store was okay. But um, it's, we've got some work to do before mm. we can reopen. Right on. And so uh, is, is there any uh, support that people can do uh, for uh, Friendly City books? Absolutely. Um, and we have, we're really touched and grateful by how many people have already shown us support. It's been amazing. Um, there are five ways that you can help us out. Uh, first and foremost, we have a GoFundMe. 
Um, and you can find it by searching for Save FCB or just going to our website at Friendly City Books, and there's a link to it. Uh, we're halfway, we're more than halfway to our goal for the GoFundMe, which is awesome. And that's helping me pay for my staff and pay for those bills that we just can't postpone. Which right now, I mean, um, at Monson Brothers, I was just there before coming here. I mean, you had one of your staff members there and like you, y'all have a selection of, uh, your books there yeah and yeah. so that's another thing for local people who are here in columbus or in the golden triangle area uh our friends at munson and brothers opened up their store to us and we've got a little pop-up inside and that's also given us an opportunity to keep our staff going yeah. which has been awesome um so we are also selling books online uh, you can order books from us at bookshop.org slash shop slash Friendly City Books. Okay. And that is, uh, that our online store has a huge selection. Um, you can actually search 5 million different books. Wow. So, like, whatever you want, they probably have. And it ships directly to you. It doesn't come to us first. So how does that work for y'all? Um, so they basically give us a commission okay. of yeah what comes through our website there. So that has also been a really great way to support us right now. Like if you have a book in mind that you're like, I'm super excited to read the new Colson Whitehead or, you know, like we've got the Welty Symposium coming up at MUW. Like maybe you want to read one of those books at mm. the symposium, like Ralph Eubanks, a place like Mississippi, you can go get it right there. Um, and then we also are selling t-shirts on Bonfire, um, and we have an audiobook subscription program, Oh wow! which is pretty cool. That's at Libro, L-I-B-R-O dot F-M slash Friendly City, and it works the same way as Audible. It's the same price as Audible, but Audible is owned by Amazon, and Libro works with independent bookstores like us, and they support us with their profits. Great plug. Great plug with that. Uh, like I say, there's nothing against Bezos, but if like I encourage people all the time, if even if it's just a minor inconvenience, support small business. But it seems like it's the exact same thing. Yeah. It's just Libro instead of Audible. Exactly, and, and I listen to it on my phone. Especially, you know, I do so much driving around the state, and um, like that's what I do on my road trips. Um, and, and, you know, it's I don't really trash talk Amazon that much. Not as much as maybe some of my... Uh, Probably not as much as me. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's like I... I mean, I know people who work at Amazon. Oh, I do too. You know? You so know, they, they I don't... A, they built a big thing in Mobile before yeah. I left. And, like, I know a lot of people who quit their job to go work there. And they pay good. I don't blame them. Uh, and they can. Right. And he's the richest... He's rich, you know? And, you know, it, it's funny. You think, you know, like... It, it, he's rich for a reason. So I got to figure out what, you know, like my competitive advantage is going to be. So I can, you know, so I can, <laughs> yeah, right with that. Yeah. you know, it's funny. I heard a story that, well, you know, cause Amazon started by selling books online. And apparently in the very early days, Jeff Bezos actually went to the American booksellers association conferences. Um, and I guess he was a member and at the time, I've heard this story from the owner of Square Books, Richard Howorth. He was the president of the American Booksellers Association at one point, maybe when Bezos was attending those meetings. And apparently, Bezos was like taking all these notes about customer service and like 
took a lot of that stuff to heart when he was creating Amazon. They say that at Amazon, he's like totally obsessed with the customer experience. And a lot of those ideas have actually come from these, you know, the community driven, community focused aspects of independent bookstores. I believe that. I mean, when he when he shot his rocket up in space, when he came back and they interviewed him, he, the, the yeehaw with the cowboy hat, it was like one of the first things out of his mouth was, it's because of our customers we were able to do this. And I was like, well, I don't think he's just being an asshole. I, I, I think he's sincere when he says that. It was, I mean, yeah, absolutely, you're correct. Yeah. He also, shout out to the employees, absolutely. Uh, but I totally believe that. Like, uh, And he got it right. I mean, look how convenient it is. It's I mean, you can get your Tide Pods or whatever you want. Just <laughs> you just hit the you just hit the button and it comes. You know, it's it's crazy. Yeah. So you know, I'm always kind of thinking, you know, how do I compete with that? And frankly, one thing that we can do that Amazon can't do is have somebody holler out the side of their window at a stop sign to ask me for a book. <laughs> That's just and it. have me call them the next day and say, Hey, I got it for you. Found it. <laughs> got it. It's on the way. And so. Uh, like with uh, Libro, which is a great plug for people who like to listen to books, but let's say that uh, they didn't want to go through the avenue of ordering a book online and you just getting commission. Uh, could they contact Friendly City and go completely through y'all, or do you prefer it that way? Uh, so in general, when we are operating normally, mm-hmm. we can take orders directly through us. Okay. But right now, I would suggest that people go to bookshop.org or libro.fm because we don't have to personally handle those orders. And that is really helping us right now because... You don't really have a front. Yeah, we don't have a storefront. And we also have to go through all of our inventory for our insurance claim and it is very tedious. So that's, I didn't even think of, that's a good point. Uh-huh. So like, you know, the last 2 weeks we've been basically going through every individual book in the store to see is this damaged enough to go on the in, the insurance claim or not. And then, you know, we have to find all the documentation to provide to the insurance oh, companies about like here's what we bought it for and when we bought it and who we bought it from. So, you know, it's not like our furnishings, that's easy because I can be like, okay, here are the handful of bookshelves that got ruined that we need to replace. But the books, it's a lot of stuff that's, you know, individually a low price, but it adds up, but it takes a long time. Right. Just go through. Uh, So let's, let's, uh, I just want to pick your brain. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean... Who are, and it may be Mississippi, who are some of your favorite writers of today? I mean, I should have known this was coming. (laughs) (laughs) That there'd be like a lightning round. Yeah. Okay, so I mentioned this author before, but I'm going to say it again because I love him and this book so much. Ralph Eubanks is a native Mississippian. He had a book come out this year called A Place Like Mississippi. He's going to be the keynote speaker at our upcoming literary conference at the local university. But this is just a cool book. It is, it's nonfiction. He basically talked to every Mississippi writer he could find who's living, who either still lives in Mississippi or maybe grew up here but lives somewhere else now. Mm -hmm. 
And he's organized the book where it goes region by region. And it starts on the coast, which I kind of love, because I think a lot of people think you start from the top and work your way down. But as one of those coast snobs, you know, like coast (laughs) treasure, I was like, this is, he gets it. Coast is number one. Um, But I would agree with that sentiment. (laughs) I I lived on the Alabama coast for six years and there's nothing quite like it. Yeah. It broke my heart to leave, but it's good to be here. (laughs) <laughs> totally, totally. I'm happy to be here, but you know, Coast is still my original home, and so I do stay in it when I can. Um, but so he goes to like every part of the state and talks to writers about why they write about Mississippi and what it means to them to be from Mississippi because it's such a complex question that non-Mississippians don't always appreciate how complex it is. I don't really, I'm not a Mississippian. I'm an Alabamian, so like we're twins, Mm -hmm. so we get the same hate. Mm -hmm. But like to an outsider, like when I would go on vacation and be like, oh, you're from Alabama, you're from Mississippi, is like uh, the the first few things out of their mouth is like corruption. Mississippi, the government's corrupt there. Well, I can't argue that, but what am I to do? Oh, I mean, usually the first two things I get are, you've got all your teeth and you're wearing shoes. Well, yeah, that's true, too. I'll never forget this. is like when Mississippi State hosted Oregon. I have uh, kinfolk that live right outside of Eugene, Oregon, where the Ducks play. And uh, the Ducks came down in their clown uniforms, you know, that when they were ridiculous swag or whatever you want to say, is uh, they came and stayed at our house, and the first thing out of their mouth was, oh, yeah, wear shoes down here. <laughs> yeah, we're plumbing and everything. Yeah, electricity, air conditioning. Yeah, and we need it, by the way. I know. Way, <laughs> way without it. <laughs> way, way more than y'all. But yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, yeah, I do have all my teeth. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when I went to college, so I went to Georgetown in Washington D.C. And when I got there, let's see, I think there were about sixty-five hundred, seven thousand undergrads in the whole school. Four people were from Mississippi. There was one other person from Mississippi in my class. Um, And so a lot of times other students would say to me, you're the first person I've ever met from Mississippi. I've never been to Mississippi. You know, they usually have something snarky to say about it. And I'd be like, well, you're from New York. Well, I've been to New York. (laughs) So who's the more cultured person here? (laughs) You know, who's more sophisticated? Yeah, yeah, right on. Yeah, it's like uh, traveled. Yeah, I've pretty well traveled. Uh, and we're not going to mention this, but it's uh, it's a lot cheaper for live in Mississippi than it is to live where you live, yeah. which lends me to be able to travel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, like I could afford to take the financial risk to do something different here because it doesn't take much to live here. Now, I do, I think that sometimes people take that reasoning a little bit too far, and sometimes people will say, well, we don't need to pay people more at their jobs because it's cheap to live here. Um, Or when I first thought about moving back to Mississippi and I was looking at more like professional white collar jobs. I mean, like I have a, an MBA. So I was looking at things that required master's degrees and there aren't that many of them. There's not. And I would have had to take a huge pay cut. And so that's where like, I, I kind of feel like we in the South rely on the low cost of living thing too much to expect people to make a sacrifice to move here. 
where instead I think we should be talking about what are the opportunities that you have here because it's cheaper to live here. There you go. That's a good point because it's very blue-collared for the most part. And, I mean, I mean, not to speak for you, but I was like, what do I mean, what are you to do if you're an NBA uh, holder and happen to be a woman? You know, it's like, yeah. well, I mean, what are you going to do with that? I mean, there's tons of blue-collar stuff, but, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, well, you know, there are some really interesting things happening in Mississippi. I actually have a friend whose mom runs a workforce development program in Biloxi that teaches women how to be welders so that they can go work at Ingalls and stuff like that. I work with a lot of them at Ingalls. Yeah. And they're badass. Uh Uh-huh. And then um, there's actually the legislature is looking at a gender um, pay gap bill right now that would, um, you know, like address gender disparities in pay, which is actually a subject that I used to work on when I worked in D.C. on federal government policy. That's um, interesting because, like, at Ingalls, it was the same across the board. Yeah. Like that, well, that was one thing that Ingalls did do. So here's what the, the interesting thing about the gender pay gap, and we don't have to, like, dwell on this for a long time, but usually, um, well, for the most part, we have seen women catch up to men who work in the same job. Sometimes, there, often, there are still situations like Lily, Lily Ledbetter, who's from Alabama, who literally had the same job as another guy and they were paying her less and never told her that. But what we really see driving the gender pay gap today are that men and women tend to go into different types of occupations mm-hmm. and those different jobs are valued differently in our they economy. Are. They are. Um, and so, you know, Things like um, childcare, healthcare, which tend to be dominated by women, are which is paid less. Vastly important, by the way. Exactly. So that's a big thing. So I mean, I'm excited about this bill that the legislature is considering because that would really put Mississippi up with any other state, you know, and show that hey, we're not backwards like you think we are and we are behind in that regard yeah so, you know i yeah. think alabama is 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 in the same boat with that regard is, mm-hmm. uh, yes i agree with that but you know but the other thing that we have to do is look for you know where are there more opportunities for work that women have traditionally done to be valued more and for women to become leaders in what they do you know so um it, I was excited about opening my own business because, you know, I wanted to see more women running their own businesses. Um, my mom uh, ran her own business for, it was probably about two decades. She had her own business and she really inspired me. What was, um, what, what was her business? What so, did she do? Well, I always tell people that my mom was Art Vandalay. She worked in importing <laughs> and exporting. <laughs> So for all y'all who still remember Seinfeld, she's an importer-exporter. One of the greatest TV shows of all time, in my opinion. It's a show about nothing. Uh (laughs) I love how people do that whole, like, modern Seinfeld stuff where, like, none of the storylines would make sense now, like, with cell phones and computers. Right. But, um, but, But, yeah, so part of what I wanted to do with this bookstore is come down here and model what I wanted to see in Mississippi. Because uh, one thing my mom said to me once has always stuck with me is don't complain unless you're going to be part of the solution. 
That's a, and that's the thing here that uh, I like to, especially if it's just an episode with the boys or whatever that looks like, is don't come on the show and complain about something unless you have a solution. Because at that point, all you're doing is throwing gas on a fire that we're all trying to find out how to control. Mm-hmm. We need to have a solution. And you better have a good one or I'm going to tear it apart. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's good advice from mother right there. I know. <laughs> uh, you know, I think when she first said that to me, again, I was, you know, I was probably a teenager. I was probably complaining about something stupid. As we all she, do. She probably just wanted to change the subject. But she pulled something brilliant out of her head there that <laughs> I've never forgotten. Right on. And so uh, just, uh, I, I did want to ask this, like, uh, just to go back to inception up to the day, yeah, is uh, just about the customers uh, and about just the people. I mean, we mentioned like the people rolling down windows and ordering is like, uh, I mean, wh- what are these people typically into in Columbus? What are they like? What are the, what are they like reading? What are they into? Oh, good question. I mean, honestly, we sell a little bit of everything, um, and I know that sounds really cliche, but uh, we try to have a really broad selection. Um, and we kind of see across the board that there's a little bit of interest in everything. So, um, I do kind of push Mississippi writers just because of that being our home. Um, we see a lot of people like history, obviously, um, especially with, you know, the rich history of our area here, you know, so there's a lot of interest in Southern history and military history for sure. Um, we sell a lot of children's books. You know, there are a lot of young families around here, a lot of grandparents around here who want to spoil their grandkids. Shout out to Mother Goose. <laughs> Love Mother Goose. <laughs> Another one of my neighbors right around the corner. She's sweet as can be and checks in on us all the time. Um, we sell a lot of fantasy and sci-fi. We sell a lot of romance. I mean, truly, like anything and everything. Yeah, that's uh, that's my niche. Is uh, I, I'm a I'm a fantasy like uh, J.R. Tolkien. Uh, I love C.S. Lewis. I I, uh, I prefer his theological work over uh, uh, the Silent Planets or Chronicles of Narnia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Aquinas. Like uh, I'm Judeo-Christian background, so I, I love reading about the philosophies of these uh, earlier um, philosophers of. Christianity and mm-hmm. I, it's it's it, it's incredible thought to me and I also like uh, a lot of philosophy I love reading philosophy I'm, I'm really into it uh, Darwin or any of these guys and just seeing like uh, the way that it interacts with culture today and like even with this uh, pandemic that we're in now and just kind of seeing like oh I'm literally reading these words and they're playing out yeah. How cool was that? Well, it's not very cool, but I mean, it's happening, and uh, that that's that's my niche. Just, I'm I'm a huge fantasy guy. All right. <laughs> but uh, I I own most of them. I might hit you up about some like Silmarillion or some uh-huh. J.R. Tolkien that I don't already have in my possession. One of my booksellers loves that one, uh, Silmarillion. Um, it's incredibly boring. <laughs> I've read it. But it does put you more in tune with Middle Earth if you were to give that many craps, and I, I do. 
Well, um, another one, if you're into fantasy, and for people who are also kind of like Game of Thrones and that sort of thing, one of our bestsellers has been uh, Brandon Sanderson's series. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Uh, I, I'm excited about uh, uh, if he'll ever finish writing it. Is uh, Patrick... If, uh, oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. Um, wise man's fear. Oh, I can't believe I'm blanking on this. Right I'm blanking now. on it too. I just named off the second book, the name yeah, of the win. The, the name of the win. Patrick that's Rothfuss. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah, the guy has been bluffing about finishing off the trilogy mm-hmm. for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, like I read the first book, it was wonderful. Left me with a lot of questions. I read the second one. All it did was give me more questions. He didn't tie any loose ends, and I think he's stalling because he has no idea how to tie those loose ends up and finish it. Well, he did come out with, like, a novella. Yeah, I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) It cracks me up when these, like, guys who are writing these fantasy series, you know, like, they... they don't know what else to do. You know, they don't know where they're going with the series. So they write something that has nothing to do with the plot line. Right. It was like, here's some side quest uh-huh, uh-huh. for you to pursue. It's like, that's not what I wanted, man. Just finish the story. It's like, I've been hanging on to this for three years now, and I have no idea how it ends. And I don't think you do either. <laughs> Let's finish this. And granted, a Mississippian writer would have done it. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> You know, there is a great Mississippi fancy, more sci-fi writer who I'll plug. She went to the MFA program at the W here. Her name is Beth Kander. She's got a three-book series called Born in Sin. And the oh, main that's ca- a dope title. Yeah, and it's, it's Sin, S-Y-N, because the idea is that it's a battle between humans and synthetic humans. Dude. Um, and the main cool. character is like a teenage girl who's just a total badass um, so we've had a lot of people read that. I want to open this up as just as a cultural idea. And I believe that books do it better than, um, comic books or which manga is kicking Marvel's butt. And I don't know, do y'all deal with a lot of comics? Yeah, we have a little bit, you know, there is a comic book store in Starkville. Yeah. And oh yeah, I've had her on the show. Yeah. yeah. And the books a million had a lot of comics and a lot of manga. I'm dabbling in it. We order it when people ask us for it. Manga is like more popular right now than Marvel because, like, the, the and this is my cultural question to you, and I want your thoughts on this. Is uh, I believe that thing is it's just been regurgitated and then ate again and then spit back out to a point to where I really need an original idea. I mean, you think about Hollywood and movies is like how many times can you make a Fast and Furious? How many times can you make a 007? How many Marvel movies okay we just opened up the multiverse theory i was like okay 10 more years of this is when can i have something fresh and brand new give me some new characters exciting characters quit playing with my nostalgia totally i was and i mean like do you have any like books or like ideas on culture that are just like oh here's something fresh oh well i would say that one that i was just talking about by okay. beth kander that born in sin because it you know it's totally new, and you know it 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 it's a completely different universe. You know, like straight from you know her brain to the page, and I love to support a Mississippi writer. Um, but you know that will probably be my next purchase from you. Yeah, it's great. Um, you know, I will say if you are looking for new worlds and new characters, 
we have a lot of adults who read young adult books. So these are like books Harry that Harry Potter stuff, or but well, it, now like Harry Potter's, you know, kind of like passe now, and people have like all these new yeah. things now. So, um, for example, there's a book that just came out called Legendborn that has I'm been familiar. Yeah, I haven't looked into it, but I know what you're talking so, about. So yeah, black teenage girl who goes to a school very similar to an MSMS. It's like a nerd school for high schoolers. That's at UNC, which is where I went to business school. So <laughs> I was real excited about that. And it turns out she's got powers. You know, there's there's a lot of these books where it's you That's know, cool. outcast who's got powers. Yeah. Um. So there's another one called um, Wings of Ebony that's similar. Um, black teenage girl, Houston, finds out that she's magical. Um, there's a ton. If, if you're into, like, magic and fantasy and that sort of thing, there's a lot of that in the young adult world um, that people have gotten really into. And, I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily recommend this for you, but I'll also say one of our biggest selling series is by an author named Sarah J. Mass. And she started off writing young adult books. It's more kind of like fairies and stuff. But she has started writing for older audiences mm-hmm. as she's gotten more popular. And we can't keep them in stock. Wow. People love are these, them. Are these people coming in to get it for the kids or for themselves? Oh, for themselves. Okay. Oh, yeah. And so, actually, one of our interns labeled her because she started off writing for teenagers but the newer books are definitely not for teenagers. So we actually, that's, that's one thing that's been funny about opening a bookstore and like talking to customers is, should I recommend this book? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what people's tolerance is for how we call, you know, spicy a yeah. book is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's my thing, like going back to Pat- Patrick Rothfuss, just for a second, is, uh, that was a really fresh idea he had with uh, The Name of the Wind and The Wise Man's Fear. It was the introduction of magic in a way that I'd never seen it before. Uh, I believe everyone that writes fantasy, um, whether they like it or not, you're chasing after the, the curtails of Tolkien. It was very original. Middle Earth, you had orcs and elves and all these mythical beings. You had magic done by wizards. You had these powerful rings that had these powers. And then Rafa's comes up with this wonderful idea that I had never read. And I've read The Wheel of Time, and I've read all these different fantasies, but I never saw magic done like, if you know the name of it, you can call on it. And I remember the first lesson that the main character uh, had from the guy that he was learning from, and the, the guy, the, his parents, they were a traveling troupe of musicians. And they picked up this wandering guy who was a magician or wizard. I don't even remember the exact terminology at the moment. And... uh the main character, the protagonist, was curious about it. And so he started learning, and he started learning fast. And he was like, you'll never call on the name of the wind. And he's like, because you might displace the oxygen, and you'll choke. What does he do? He calls on the name of the wind. And that was one of the most powerful moments in that whole book. Was the, They were all choking to death. And it was like, they couldn't even call the name of it to get it to stop. And it was like... That was a powerful moment. And I was like, if you know the name of something, you can call it. It's like, it's not so easy as saying when, but it was like, what a fresh take on magic. I've never, I'd love to see it in cinema. I'd, lo- I'd watch that movie. Yeah. Well, are they making a, Will, they're doing Wheel of Time, right? That's do- about to come they're out. They're doing Wheel of Time. Yeah. That's right. 
Um, well, okay, one other... So, I actually don't read as much fantasy and sci-fi as some of the other booksellers that we have on staff, but one of my all-time favorites is, is a standalone book. It is not a series. Mm-hmm. It's called The Power. Uh, the author's name is Naomi Alderman, and again, this is another kind of like feminist sci-fi book, but it's set in present day, and all of a sudden, it turns out that women can overpower men through shocking them with like an electrical touch. Oh, wow. And it's fascinating because the whole book is about if women were as powerful as men, would they use their power for good or would they use their power for evil? Oh, wow. And in the book, it turns out that women would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I might, yeah, probably, maybe. It's like, uh, you know, you think, uh, I mean, any, like, just to chase the fantasy, it's like anyone who was ever oppressed who gets some kind of a power, they always start out, well, I'm going to use it for good. Well, no, they use it for their own, and it becomes oppressed to oppressor, which is a very scary thing. Yeah. Y'all, okay, I just watched the season finale of Ted Lasso, not to ruin that for anybody, <laughs> but that happens in the second season where the guy who was... If you, Oppressed in like a lowercase o version of oppressed. You know, he's just like the low man on the totem pole all of a sudden gets a taste of what it's like to be oh, in yeah. charge and it goes to his head goes to his head. Absolutely. He makes the like classic heel turn and it's like, no. Yeah, so I was never a f- I wasn't allowed to watch it as a child. Um my mother was strict, like, uh, with what we read mm-hmm. and what we watched on TV. And I'm glad that she done that. And uh, I started watching wrestling with a friend of mine because he was a wrestling fan at the age of 27. And he started explaining, because my argument to the people who watch wrestling was like, dude, that's fake. We're not talking about the same thing. They, they know it's not real. It's All it is is a male... Soap opera. That's all it is. It's a soap opera. It's big. All these things that happen behind the scenes that are on camera and everything that happens on scene. And I started watching these wrestling uh, nights with him. And he would call it play by play. Right when they would announce who was fighting, he was like, she'll win. (laughs) And here's why. And he's like, it'll probably go on for about 10 minutes. (laughs) And she'll do her special move, and it'll be over. And it, it went down the exact way. And I was like, you should totally ride for these people. He's like, I've watched this all my life. I'm almost bored to death with it. It's, everything has been done. The idea of the hill. And I'll never forget the night. Uh, and this is how we hung out. We would ride, uh, like, Monday night wrestling or whatever together. And uh, I'll never forget the first time he was wrong. Like, one of his favorite wrestlers, uh, turned into a heel and like just watching his emotion it was like i didn't see that coming and i was like the writers actually did a good job mm-hmm. they gave you a turn <laughs> that you didn't see coming and yeah I was like and that made me a fan and like I, I don't watch it on my own i watch it if i'm with him it's like not i don't watch a lot of tv personally but uh if if you and i were hanging out and you're in the watching tv i'd watch tv with you I mean, that's that's how we would get along. It's like I would enjoy what you would enjoy. Well, you've got to do Ted Lasso. There we go. 
So I gotta. I gotta yeah, the you two know. takeaways from this program are support Friendly City Books after a car ran into our storefront by going to friendlycitybooks.com and watch Ted Lasso. There's your two takeaways, folks. <laughs> All right, so uh, we are at the hour mark of takeaways. Is I've never asked this before. What has been your favorite part about the interview? About the interview? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it's just fun to shoot the shit, you know? Right on. Porch talk, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh, it's a big chance to say you're welcome is, is my thing. <laughs> uh, no kidding. Uh, but also, just to plug one more time, uh, how can people uh, support you and follow you on the internets? Yeah, so I would say start by just going to our website at FriendlyCityBooks.com and you could get to anywhere from there. You can get to our GoFundMe from there. You can get to our online store, the bookshop.org website I was talking about. You can get to the Libro.fm audiobooks from there. Uh, we've still got shirts on sale through Bonfire for a couple of days and then we'll probably do extend that campaign and do some more. Um, and social, we are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Friendly City Books. There you go. Emily, thank you so much. Thanks, Alan. Right here. Spend, spend your
who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done